Hey everyone, quick pre-show update for you before we begin. This episode was recorded several months ago, and as a result, our conversation about the careers of Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family is slightly out of date. Those of you who follow WWE will note my excitement at the time of recording about the character of The Fiend and his inevitable championship run. At the time, undampened by weariness, cynicism, bullshit Hell in a Cell finishes, or terrible championship belt designs. But hey, he is champion, so at least that happened. And since Megan Bob isn't here for this part, please join me in informing her that Luke Harper is no longer employed by WWE, which is probably a good thing considering that Eric Rowan is currently stuck doing this weird thing where he brings a covered cage containing an unknown pet of some kind to the ring with him and beats up anyone who tries to look inside the cage. Uh, that's it. That's the whole character. So yeah, uh, just keep all that stuff in mind. Enjoy the show, and uh, hey, keep an eye on AEW in case some dude named Brody Lee shows up out of nowhere. I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we crash headfirst into the episode of NXT that originally aired on July 31st, 2013. In this episode, some super important characters leave, some super important characters come back, and most importantly of all, Mason Ryan shows off his dance moves. <laughs> Welcome to episode 11 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we crowned the first ever NXT Women's Champion, and the feelings almost got completely out of hand. But we survived. It was okay. <laughs> this episode is kind of weird, but we definitely have lots to talk about in Bob's Breakdown. <laughs> we'll also catch up on the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling and the cheap pop quiz. For the first time ever, we're revisiting some subject matter on the wrestling term of the week. Ooh. And unfortunately, it is once again time to ring the bell on some of our friends here what? in NXT. Okay. But first, let's check out the answers to the cheap pop quiz from our last episode. Oh, I don't know if I feel good about this one. I think I bombed all of them, but maybe. Well, let's see. Question number one. The next episode of NXT has more than the average amount of dance-related content. Which of the following characters does not dance on that episode? Was it A, Emma, B, Mason Ryan, C, NXT General Manager Dusty Rhodes, D, NXT Champion Bo Dallas, or E, a tag team from the main roster called Tons of Funk, whose gimmick is that they are a pair of 350-pound dudes who dance a lot. Bob, you very wisely, I thought, selected B, Mason Ryan. But as you know, <laughs> that is not the case. So worth it. The best time I've <laughs> ever been wrong. The correct answer was D, NXT Champion Bo Dallas. Question two, also on the next episode, you will finally get some context for all those Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins fanfics, Bob. Ugh. The Shield, a trio of ruthless SWAT gear wearing badasses who have been terrorizing the main roster for the better part of a year are returning to NXT. Why are they here? A, 
They heard Enzo Amore was talking shit about them, and they're here to beat him and his buddy to death. B, this is the start of a new taping, and between this one and the last one, the Wyatt family made their debut on Raw by attacking the Shield. The Shield are here for a little payback. C, they don't think Adrian Neville deserves to be a tag team champion, since all he did was take Cassius Ono's spot, and they're here to correct that injustice. D, they're not here for any particular reason, they just run down to the ring during the tag team main event and beat everyone up because they are psychopaths. Or E, like everyone else on this episode, they're here to dance. <laughs> Bob, you chose B. This is the sort of a new taping in between this one and the last one. The Wyatt family made their debut on Raw by attacking the Shield, and the Shield are here for payback. Logical choice, because I'll tell you something, Bob. This is the start of a new taping, and between this one and the last one, the Wyatt family did make their debut on Raw. However, the wrestler they attacked was a dude named Kane, a.k.a. Uh, Glenn Jacobs, mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. Ah, and, uh, okay. So that was not the right answer. As you know now, the correct answer was C. They are here because Adrian Neville as a tag team champion is some sort of injustice or something. I don't know. Just go with it. Oh, man, I have words about that. I, d <laughs> I didn't pick it because I couldn't imagine anyone would ever say that. And question number three. Once again, you're about to be introduced to another NXT regular making their first appearance, as this character at least, on the next episode. The introduction comes in the form of a backstage interruption. What form does this take? A. They interrupt Corey Graves backstage by offering him drugs. <laughs> B. They interrupt Tyler Breeze backstage by making goofy faces at the camera while his back is turned. C. They interrupt Leo Kruger backstage by making fun of his accent. D. They interrupt Cesaro backstage by making fun of his accent. Or E. They interrupt Paige and Emma backstage by challenging them to a dance contest. Uh, Bob, you chose that last one. Again, I thought it was a good selection. Unfortunately, it is B. Uh, they interrupt Tyler Breeze backstage by making goofy faces at the camera while his back is turned. So, for the first time in a while, I have stumped you on the pop quiz, Bob. <laughs> you know, I, I was due. It was time. I needed, I needed to stop the bleeding. <laughs> you were devaluing the point system. It was point inflation. Oh, uh, all right. Well, those were the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. And of course, another cheap pop quiz coming up at the end of this episode. But first, it's time for Bob's Breakdown. We open with Enzo Amore and Cassidy. It's like waking up in the morning and stubbing your toe immediately. I feel betrayed <laughs> and disproportionately angry. <laughs> so they remind the audience that they are not soft. Soft? That's their catchphrase, dear listeners. That argument against softness. Softness, which is punk rock and awesome as fuck. Goddamn right. They're arguing against. I'm taking a stand. I am pro soft. Soft is metal. Not only do they argue against it, but they actually spell it wrong, too, on purpose, which is another just miscarriage of justice. Yeah, and Miles, between this and Zane's man purse comment of a couple of episodes back, we are mm. going to right now dive into the culture of masculinity in pro wrestling. I know. <laughs> oh, I God. know we can't cover it in depth. I understand that, but I want to at least touch on the evolution of masculinity in pro wrestling from uh -huh. what little bits I've seen of current NXT and WWE. Okay. It's not just the presentation of femininity that shifts in wrestling. I think we see different kinds of masculinity starting to emerge in wrestling as well. So I just wanted to get your quick take on 
What? I know this is, I, I should have prepared you for this journey. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I should have had some time to think about this. Um, yeah, that is a huge topic. What I'll say right now is that, you know, let it never be said that pro wrestling is not deeply and heavily invested in toxic masculinity and in a mm-hmm. certain kind of masculinity that that is not great. We're seeing changes, I think. I mean, it's not wrestling used to be like, look at this big dude and all his muscles and how hard he can throw people. Lots of dehumanization of women, lots of um, uh, jokes at the expense of marginalized communities such as queer communities and and racial minorities and lots of like terrible jokes and being edgy and just like it was really bad. I personally very much enjoy the modern era of wrestling where if they did something like that and if they still do something like that, it's going to be like called the fuck out on Twitter. One of the interesting things about wrestling, especially right now, is that there's this pressure coming from underneath. This is driven a lot by people on online, the Internet wrestling community, as it's referred to, who are like, we want women's wrestling. We want tag team wrestling. There's a team. There's a team in AEW right now called the Best Friends, Bob. And you know what their thing is? They're best friends and they hug each other in every match. And it's beautiful and the fans love it. And like there's all this upward momentum for like that kind of thing and like women and inclusivity and being inclusive to queer communities and and not being shitty about race and like it's really like ground swelling and then you've got this pressure from above where it's like you know no we want to focus our shows on the super muscly white guys who you know and you know we don't want to do that stuff so it's a really interesting time to be a wrestling fan right now and i one of the reasons that i personally find it so validating to be a wrestling fan right now is because i feel so at home being one of those people going like, no, fuck you. You need to give me women's wrestling. You need to give me, you need to not do this bullshit where it's like this guy is wearing a dress to the ring and it's a joke. And you you think it's really funny or like, you know, you're just like gauging in these horrible racial stereotypes. Like you need to do better. And it's a really cool time to be part of that community. I would say, even though there remains of course, so much work to be done. I also just want to cap that conversation off by saying, that I am a, a dude, fucking cis, hetero, white man who has a house and, like, I am the least fucking oppressed kind of person that exists. So to you, Bob, and, and anyone else who's interested, like, I would strongly encourage you to go seek out the perspectives of both fans of the industry and people in the industry who are um, from those marginalized communities, because my perspective can only take you so far. Hmm. Okay, cool. Thank you. So anyone that's drifted off during this sociocultural critique, you can come back now. (laughs) Thank you for coming to my fucking TED Talk. (laughs) Enzo says when he looks at the NXT landscape, he sees a dance floor and they're going to dance. Dance. (laughs) So cue the music and then it's tons of funk. Miles, who the frick are these people? Oh boy. So um, tons of funk are a team. That consists of the Funkasaurus, Brodus Clay. Oh, that's fun. And his partner, who has gone by many names over his long WWE career. Uh, I'm going to call him Matt Bloom because that's his name. Uh, at the time, I believe he was going by Sweet Tea, which Aww. was an abbreviation from his previous name, which was Lord Tensai. What? Um, which was some cultural appropriation bullshit. Oh, no. Um, 
But he's also been called Albert and A-Train and a number of other names in his career. I don't remember enough. So this was actually during a time when I wasn't really keeping up with the main roster. Like, I was kind of out on Raw and SmackDown at this point. I didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Um, NXT was at this point in time in the process of drawing me back in. But I don't remember much about how they became a team. I do know that... um, the whole funk and dancing thing was kind of Brodus Clay's gimmick and Matt Bloom kind of got drawn into it. Brodus Clay uh, sucks and I hate him. OK, he is not a great wrestler and I believe a Trump supporter. Ah. Uh, so there's that. If he's not a Trump supporter, somebody tell me, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard a couple interviews with him where he, he is. Um, Matt Bloom, on the other hand, kind of rules and uh, is, I believe, now still in the position of head trainer at NXT. At some point um, in the next few years from when we're reading this, Matt Bloom will take over the NXT training because <laughs> because um, there was a, a shakeup in NXT trainers because of a bunch of allegations of bullying and abuse from the dude who was doing it before. That's a whole other story. So uh, these two middle-aged uncle types get into the ring (laughs) and they do a dance routine that I'm going to be generous and call synchronized. Uh, (laughs) Sure. Yeah, it doesn't really matter though, because it's hard not to appreciate those goofy family reunion quality dance moves. I'm pretty sure this is not the last we're gonna see of uh, of Brodus Clay, unfortunately. But all right, well, look, they were enough to scare off Enzo and Cass. Yeah, you know what? They did their jobs for a night. So they Enzo and Cass uh, back up the ramp, yelling "soft" like upset Paris with a very limited vocabulary, and then. <laughs> The sweet music of Mason Ryan, because he comes down the ramp, scaring Enzo and Cass back into the ring. And then tons of funk smash Enzo and Cassidy with some beautiful full body slams. Mason Ryan joins in for a final opportunity to pick Enzo up and slam him back first into the mat. And my little Welsh pony boy high fives tons of funk, then gets ready to leave the ring. But they pull him back. Mm -hmm. And the audience chants dance 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 and then in a miracle that made me scream with joy dressage mason ryan starts dancing to those funky beats he cannot dance and i could not give less of a shit because (laughs) it was so unapologetically incongruous that i felt like my soul had ascended to a higher plane it was exceptional Uh, my eyes looked the way leo kruger's eyes always look that's how excited i was yeah i definitely did not remember that this was a thing that happened and when i saw it for the first time i was like oh oh we're gonna have some fun with this (laughs) yeah oh backstage grandpa dusty Rhodes is hanging out with emma and Paige, and Paige has her belt because i guess it's the law that you just carry it with you like wearing your name tag at work and then Summer Ray interrupts the backstage to demand the belt because she just wants it. So there. And Emma she says, seems like a pretty entitled person. Yeah, I would say there's not a lot to recommend Summer Ray as a person. <laughs> Emma says that Summer Ray's dancing sucks, but that will not stand. A motif no. of the episode really becomes clear at this point. Dance <laughs> like everyone's watching. So Summer Ray challenges Emma to a dance off. Emma says, you know, that's fine, but only if it's a dance battle. Do people go over the rope for that? Who the frick knows? We'll find out next episode. We will find out next episode. I uh, um, One of the cheap pop quiz questions for this episode was almost about the rules of a dance battle, but I went in a different direction. We'll get there later. Okay. 
So it's match two. Finally, getting to match two was its own it's journey. Match, it's match one, I think. Oh, no, because we had like uh, Cassidy and Mason Ryan. Uh, I'm not sure that was an actual match, though. I think that oh, was just a that? thing that happened. Oh, OK. Well, actual match then. Charlotte Flair against Sasha Banks. So they come to the ring. They lock up and Charlotte lifts Sasha like she's a Victorian heroine who weighs not but a feather. And then Charlotte goes to the corner and then leaps up and over Sasha as Sasha runs face first in the turnbuckle. Charlotte does her gymnastic floor routine to remind us that she's good at flips. Mm -hmm. Charlotte backhands Sasha in the chest. Sasha comes back with a sea of slaps. Sasha isn't having any of this upstart bullshit from Charlotte. She gets Charlotte on hands and knees and rides her like a pony using her hands to pull Charlotte's head back. And then Uh she puts her fingers in Charlotte's mouth. Pulling at the corners like a bridle. <laughs> I gotta say, Nasty Rodeo Queen Banks is what I want more of. It was nasty and beautiful. <laughs> and then the momentum of the match shifts real quick. Within 30 seconds, Charlotte has ducked away from the turnbuckle, bonked Sasha's head into it, done a flip to smack Sasha's head into the mat, pinned her to end the match. Mm-hmm. I've got two things about this. All right, Miles won. The audience was pretty much dead silent for most of that. WTF? I suspect it's mainly because they haven't gotten much of a chance to know either of them very much. Oh, okay. Sasha Sasha has had some time in front of the crowd here, but really hasn't done much. She doesn't really have a character. She's kind of stuck in, like, you know, that thing that a lot of wrestlers have to do in the beginning where they're just, like, a happy good guy who's really super stoked to be here and everybody uh, cheer for me and like nobody ever cares. Charlotte, you know, we saw her debut a couple episodes ago. You know, she just got there. Paige and Emma on the last episode did a lot to you know, kind over? of kick. Yeah. So, yeah, to put over <laughs> women's wrestling and to kind of kick off a new era of, of women's wrestling being respected. But there are still growing pains to be had. And, you know, WWE crowds at the time were kind of conditioned to not care about the women's matches because they haven't had to in a long time. Oh, so I, I'm okay. guessing we're still in hangover mode from that. Because I was totally guessing that it had to do with them not not having a preference who won and therefore sort of going like, ah, both options are fine. I am fine I mean, with sure. either pizza or enchiladas for dinner. Yeah, that's probably part of it, too. I mean, neither of these women is really part of an ongoing storyline. Neither of them has much of a character that's been presented to us. They're just kind of two women going out there and wrestling. And it's hard to, you know, plus they only got like three and a half minutes. So it's like when you only when you only get that much time and you don't really have a character and you don't really have a story, then it's like there's not much for the audience to latch on to. And then the match ended very quickly. I have theories about why Charlotte was only in control of the match for 30 seconds. I want to know, though, really why Charlotte was in control of the match for only 30 seconds. What's your theory? Oh, just that as we talked with Elle, Charlotte can't really wrestle yet. And so the idea of having somebody be in charge, like be the one in control, I don't imagine how she would be able to do it very effectively. I think that's probably right. I think that's that's probably right on the money, actually, Bob. I think Charlotte is still, (laughs) you know, this is like what her second match ever. So I think that's the reason you're seeing that. Okay, And then backstage with Renee, we're learning more about Tyler Breeze. I'm sorry. He's just really infuriatingly annoying. I do not like him yet. I hope I like him at some point. There's a guy backstage behind him making weird faces and playing uh-huh. with his hair. And you know what? That almost made up for watching Tyler Breeze stare at his own phone for two minutes. <laughs> almost. I'll tell you one thing I appreciated about this. Okay. He doesn't hit on her. 
Yes, agree, agree. I he did it in a very like I wouldn't deign to. You're not good enough, but I appreciate right. that he didn't do it. I was watching this again, being like, oh man, he's gonna hit on her, isn't he? But he didn't because Tyler Breeze is obsessed with literally no one except himself. Yeah, so, it's in character. I think he does a good job playing the character. We'll see if he warms up to you a little bit uh, as things go on. I agree. I he really was committed to the bit. He did it. I didn't like him because he was doing the thing well. So in that regard, it was a complete. It's success. working, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to see him get his ass kicked, Bob? Uh, yes, I do. Well, there you go. Yay! The system works. <laughs> we get a package of the Wyatt family. It's a rural goth take on Mary Had a Little Lamb. Not a combination of words that I thought I would say, but <laughs> if I have learned anything in these past 11 episodes, it's that wrestling really strains the bounds of human language. Match three. Mickey Keegan and Aiden English are in the ring. They look like two recently dumped guys trying to get their groove back through extreme sports. <laughs> I don't know how else to express this, but they do look like jobbers who know that they're jobbers and have like accepted it in their souls. <laughs> Regardless of that hangdog look, you know, I wish them the best on getting over the lovers that spurned them. You know, uh -huh. I hope it all yeah. works out. The Wyatt family does not wish them the best, however. Not so much. No, Bray leads them in with a dramatic lantern-based entrance that I very much enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And then before the bells even rung, the Hound and Tormund Giants Pain are just full on mauling <laughs> these dudes. Yeah. Uh, the ref chases Eric Rowan out of the ring. Harper finishes off English with a clothesline in about 20 seconds. And he tags in Rowan to do one coup de gras body slam. The final little sprig of parsley on this amuse-bouche of a match. If you don't mind, I, I will correct your terminology just a little bit. Yes. So a body slam is a very specific move in wrestling. Okay. Uh, you're standing up, you're facing your opponent, they are also standing up, and you like grab their shoulder and like between their legs, lift them up and slam them on the ground. Oh, so what do you call whenever you just like full body run into somebody? So when you do what Rowan did, which was to basically your opponent's that. lying down and like you just jump up in the air and land on them. That's generally referred to as a splash. Oh, they might say like big splash. And there's like various kinds of splashes, too. But oh, that was just okay. pretty much a basic splash. He jumped up right. and landed on him. He did. And the audience is really into it. They're chanting Wyatt, Wyatt, Wyatt. They're yeah. going fucking bananas. And then Wyatt comes in the ring, does Sister Abigail on English for a little extra parsley. And then he gets on the mic. And oh, my God. I cannot describe, listeners, the extent to which Wyatt is amazing on the mic. I mean, the thrust of it is that Bray Wyatt is going to leave NXT for a while, but it's couched in this psychotic ravings of a cult leader ready to tear down the establishment. And Miles, by the end of it, I was ready to join Bray's cult. You it, and pretty much everyone else. Is Wyatt just unusually good on the mic? Should I keep my expectations lower than this? Probably. Uh, okay, he is, fair enough. He is real extremely good. good. Yes. He got really into this character to the extent that he was giving all his interviews in character. Um, like, he is extremely good. Again, this is the start of a new taping. So there's been about a month of real time between this episode and the last episode. Oh. In terms of when it was actually filmed. And in between that time, Bray had made his main roster debut and this Full sale crowd fucking loves him. Despite the fact that he's supposed to be an evil fucking cult leader. Yeah. People really love him. And 
something that is going to be a theme when we talk about NXT and its relationship with the main roster is that at this point, more than anything, wrestling fans were really ready to get behind someone new and different. And nobody was more different than Bray Wyatt. He was there hadn't been a character like this in WWE, maybe ever Wow. At least in a long damn time. Like, he's so good. And we're going to talk more about this later, I suspect. But Mm -hmm. the extent to which people really love him, no matter what he does, can't really be overstated and continues to this day. He's really amazing. Mm -hmm. He's an exceptional performer in every sense of the word performer. Yeah, and it's a little bit jarring to, like, go from last episode to this episode. We're unfortunately coming in, you know, he says goodbye to the to NXT in this episode. Yeah. And we're coming in kind of at the end of his run in NXT, which is unfortunate. And someday we really should, like, go back and watch some of his earlier stuff and how he originally presented this character to the audience and got them to love it. But at the start of a taping like this, where the crowd is really fired up, they've still got a lot of energy. We've talked about kind of these dynamics before. And... Um, with Bray, you know, they, they know he's leaving. They know, you know, because he made his debut on Raw. They know he's getting called up. Mm. Um, it's a little jarring to see this sort of huge outpouring of support. Yeah. Where in previous episodes, like, he got a good reaction, but nothing oh, yeah. like this. Um, yeah. He was really, really hot. And, and you know, it's just really cool that at least once we get to see, you know, how fucking crazy into him the NXT audience was. Yeah, it was really nice to see it. And then it was quite a a different tone as we go backstage because it's just at this silent scene of Graves tying up his Hot Topic boots <laughs> and halfling monk Adrian Neville comes to his elf rogue friend. This to, halfling tracksuit. I'm sure it's made of mithril. Sure. So he goes to promise that he's going to be there for his fight with Dawson and Graves is like, what the fuck? Why? Stay in the Shire. Eat a turnip. Do whatever hobbits do. And Neville makes the point that the Wyatt family may come out of the woods and try to get revenge and, you know, he's got his tall friends back. Right. And lanky Fay elf says, F those bear shapeshifters. This is our fantasy landscape and we are the tag team championships. We run from no one. That's right. And I just want to say, I love their weird dynamic so, so much. Yeah, I kind of like it too. Did I read a fic about it? I think we know the answer to this. (laughs) I think we do. Did I write a fic about it? No. Yet. Yet. Oh, God. (laughs) It's on the list, man. Sylvester LaFour comes out in pants printed with money and a white suit jacket. How does he keep the self-tanner from getting on that white suit jacket? Only his washing machine. Yeah. (laughs) Illegal chemicals, presumably. I can't imagine. Scott Dawson comes out to fight Graves looking like a man bent on revenge. Corey Graves comes out like an elf pissed off that he has to get out of bed. The match starts and the moves are sharp and vicious. Uh, Dawson lays Graves face down across the second rope. That's right. Uh, God. And he kicks him in the gut and it looked pretty cool. And Dawson whips him into the ropes, punctuating it with a solid body check, followed up by a pin attempt. No good. And then can I interest you in this elbow drop pin attempt? Mm. And Graves is now getting pissed off with these pin attempts and runs to the rope and use the momentum to just spear himself at Dawson like he is diving into the water. Then he gets him into his lucky 13 submission hold and Dawson taps out. So Miles... Yes. Tap outs seem pretty rare. What story is a tap out used to tell about the person tapping out and the person who made the opponent tap out? 
It depends on on what we're doing and which characters are involved. Um, Corey Graves matches when he wins tend to end in tap out more than others simply because Corey Graves' finishing move is a submission. As a general rule, tapping out is seen as a more definitive victory and a more embarrassing loss than being pinned or like being knocked unconscious. If you tap out, you're actively giving up. Right. Mm. As opposed to being beaten and just being like, you just don't have the strength or whatever to kick out or get up. When you tap out, you're saying, no, I don't want this to go on anymore. I am willing to lose. Um, Ah, okay. That is the reason I think you don't see it as often is because it kind of has more meaning than just getting a pin. Interesting. That makes me then suspect that Dawson is not going to like this and will continue to be angry at Corey Graves. We'll see. In this case, you know, not a whole lot of story going into this match, as we kind of talked about with Charlotte and Sasha. Um, So it could just be, I don't honestly remember where this goes, but it it could just be like a case of, you know, Graves and Dawson have a match. It kind of serves to set up the next thing that happens, which we'll talk about in a minute. So it might just be like there was a match, Graves wins, Graves finisher is a submission, therefore Dawson taps out. Dawson's not really important enough as a character for the tap out to have a whole lot of significance, but uh, perhaps he will be upset about that. There have been plenty of wrestling stories where, you know, the heel you know, is embarrassed by tapping out or claims he never tapped out or, you know, stuff like that. You can do a lot of stories with submissions, but I'm not sure if this is one where they're choosing to or not. I did want to just say that the style of this match felt different, not necessarily like, oh, this is so amazing. I've never seen anything like it, but just that they were throwing themselves at one another in this Mm -hmm. sort of disregarding way and seemed to be holding a lot less back. I don't know. I just hadn't seen that from either of them before, but maybe that's is how they both fight. And it just I just hadn't seen them in the ring together to be doing that. But yeah, probably. I think it's just a uh, different combinations of wrestlers produce different kinds of match feels, you know, and as opposed to, uh, as opposed to the mouth feel, it's the match feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now I'm thinking about like why you read certain pairings in fanfic. Because, you know, sure. sometimes you, you like the character, but you're like, Oh, this is too schmoopy. Like, it's too sweet. I need something that's a little bit more bitter. A lot of times in wrestling, we talk about chemistry, whether or not two people have chemistry as opponents. Mm. Um, And so, you know, whether or not they do can determine whether or not a match succeeds or fails at what it's trying to do. Well, now we get, I don't know. I don't know what to call this. So, I mean, Graves wins. And then yeah, Graves wins. And I would call this like maybe a segment or a, you know, an angle, maybe. Yeah, because the crowd goes fucking apeshit because it's the shield yeah which is a thing and then roman reigns we see him dreamy surfing teacher seth rollins (laughs) hot barista dean ambrose actual college professor doing this as a hobby (laughs) so the shield came here to whine about the law neville gets on the mic and challenges ambrose to a fight with the title on the line right now and graves looks at him like Holy fuck, this Hobbit is nuts. I got to party in the Shire more often. (laughs) And the crowd is rightfully on the side of Graves and Neville, because honestly, who the fuck called the cops on this party? Man, do not party if you cannot roll with a little elf Hobbit roleplay, fuckers. And then also, hot take, the shield can fuck off into the sun. I am (laughs) not normally a mean person. But if you fuck with my Hobbit and Elfe duo, I will come for you. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) All right. So they're just going to come back next week. And then hopefully, I don't know, hopefully Dean Ambrose trips on the stairs and I don't know, falls into a separate portal. (laughs) 
Am I going to like Dean Ambrose? Is this why you're laughing? Or should I don't know. I'm worried. It's, I don't want to like him. It's just funny because of who the S.H.I.E.L.D. are and who they all are individually and where they've all gone since then. It's just like, you have to understand, Bob, currently as we stand in the year 2019, is it still, I think it might still be 2019 when this comes out, yeah. but just barely. These are three of the, like, if you were going to make a list of, like, the top ten biggest stars in wrestling, these three would all be on that list. Okay. So, it's, I'm, I'm not, to be honest, you're not going to get enough time with them in NXT to really form an opinion that lines up with the opinion of the rest of the wrestling community. Because, like, The Shield, like, Seth Rollins was in NXT for a long time. Or not for a long time, but like for a while before this, Reigns had like a cup of coffee in NXT. <laughs> Ambrose was never in NXT. The Shield is a main roster thing. Okay. And people go crazy for it because it was one of the things at the time that people really liked about the main roster. Everyone was really into the Shield. So, um, okay. So, yeah. We'll, I feel we'll talk differently more. about everybody we'll else now. Talk, we'll talk more about them at a later date. Okay. Well, now we get the main event and strap in because a whole lot of stuff happens. Yep. All right. It's Kruger and Cesaro versus Zayn and Bo. And everybody comes out and it's very normal. And then Bo Dallas comes out and the audience is like, get the fuck out, Grease Lad. <laughs> And then even, <laughs> it's so sad, even Zayn looks slightly apologetic to be seen with Bo. It's, <laughs> like, I didn't know how he's going to, it was a weird moment. <laughs> and the bell goes and it's Zayn and Kruger first and they lock up and they seem evenly matched for strength as Zayn does his signature trio of arm drags. It's like a trio of dipping sauces. And then he moves into an arm submission on Kruger and Bo is going, tag me, tag me. And Zayn looks so fucking reluctant to do it. But, <laughs> He makes a tag and holds Kruger for a high-flying move, but Kruger escapes. It doesn't even look like Zayn was trying to hold him that much, which I was like, <laughs> okay, what, what story is happening here? Presumably, Zayn let him go because he was just consumed with remorse for being Bo's tag team partner. <laughs> and then Kruger tags in Cesaro. So Bo gets Cesaro into an arm twist and is looking like he's gonna tag in Zayn. He starts to reach for the tag, and Cesaro stomps his foot and then pulls Bo away. And for a moment, it's just Cesaro pinballing Bo around. But then Cesaro sees Zayn in the corner and goes at him for a boot to the head, knocking Zayn onto the pads. And this ragey. Oh, yeah, it was good. Yeah. And the ragey tension between Cesaro and Zayn momentarily distracts the two of them, which is enough for Dallas to drop kick Cesaro and tag in Zayn. And now Cesaro just runs to tag in Kruger. But Zayn chases after Cesaro, pursuing him around the outside of the ring. And Cesaro mm -hmm. ducks back into the ring and then Zane follows, which means he doesn't even see Kruger coming. Right. And then Kruger gets Zane down and drags him over to Cesaro for a tag in so Cesaro can just, you know, clothesline him and then pick up Zane like he's a Victorian heroine who likes it a little rough. And then slams him into the ring post. Very common thing in tag team matches, one thing you'll see a lot, especially when like You've got a tag team match where one person on each team have kind of been feuding. Yeah. And like the babyface can't wait to get his hands on the heel, so he like chases him around the ring, and the heel like gets into the ring and allows his partner to like capitalize. It's very uh pretty common uh, uh trope in wrestling. Okay. It was the first time I'd see it and I was like, oh that's genius. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's like the first time you see a Shakespeare play or something, you're like, oh, this is pretty good. It's something I always enjoy when I see it. Yeah. Oh, it's lovely. Then we get a commercial break and we come back and Kruger and Cesaro are just trading Zane back and forth. Zane is trying and trying to get to Dallas for the tag. And then every time 
Cesaro and Zayn are in the ring together. Zayn rallies a little bit and gets in some hits and he even scissors his ankles around Cesaro's head. But it's mm-hmm. not enough. And I wanted to ask... That felt like it was just good storytelling on the part of Zayn. Because I haven't... Have I seen other people bother to put in that level of different energy levels? Probably not. The Zayn-Cesaro feud is kind of the main thing going right now. And um, this match is, is kind of built around it in, in lots of different ways. So I think you're... I think all those choices by Zayn are deliberate. And he is better at this than most people. Oh, yeah. It was really interesting to watch. And it felt like there were actual stakes. It didn't feel... It didn't feel choreographed. Mm-hmm. They keep trading it back and forth. And then Cesaro gets tugged in. It has Zayn in a hold. But he struggled out. And then... Cesaro shoves him into the ropes to follow up by slamming into him. And then Zane pays him back for that kick to the head from earlier. Yep. And Cesaro felled like a mighty oak, but he gets Kruger's hand on the way down in his fall. It was very nice. And Zane scrambles over to Dallas and the crowd is going fucking nuts. And Kruger has him by the leg and then Zane goes down and he uses his own weight and momentum to pull Kruger down and somersault over him and then pop up to tag Dallas and then Dallas comes in and makes a hot tag. Yeah, it was a hot tag. Mixed feelings from the audience. (laughs) Ah. Yeah. Oh, the thing happened. Kind of like when he won the championship. It was like, holy shit. Oh, yeah. I love that. I love that about them so much that they like can't help themselves, but are also really angry about it. (laughs) I mean, I'm with you, audience of 2013 NXT. So Dallas pins Kruger, but Cesaro leaps in to interrupt. And then Zayn responds with a fuck you clothesline and sending them both over the top rope. Mm-hmm. Now it's just Cesaro and Zayn throwing punches and shoves around the ring, up the ramp, and then into the backstage area. And they're gone. Yeah. And I presume out of the parking lot where all fights go to die. Um, right. This is the first time I have ever seen a fight do that. Miles, why did the camera not follow them? I just want to know. Uh, sometimes it does. I think in this case, the story of this match is that Zayn and Cesaro hate each other so much that they don't give a fuck about this tag team match. They just want to fight each other. So they end this chapter of NXT by just like fighting each other and not caring <laughs> about anything else while other things happen in the ring where they're supposed to be doing things. In other circumstances, you will see the camera follow people backstage as the fight continues, leading to uh, sometimes horrific and sometimes hilarious uh, little things that happen. Uh, you know, sometimes they do horrible things like put each other through like glass windows yeah. or tables or whatever. And, and, you know, sometimes they squirt mustard on each other or something. Aww. So it's, it's just it depends. There's definitely an AU fanfic out there where they went backstage and then the yeah. fighting turned into making out. Then that just leaves Dallas and Kruger in the ring. And it is at this point that I saw the writing on the wall. So Kruger tries to make a break for it to leave the ring, but Dallas hauls him back in. And for a second, you think, oh, maybe Dallas could win. And he runs at Kruger, who gives him a knee to the chin to raucous applause from the audience, who's like, oh, thank God. And Kruger runs at him with an arm outstretched and then slams him to the ground, pinning him uh, while Dallas lays there like a stuffed animal. It's been run over a few times. The slice. Yeah. And then, of course, ta-ta, Bo. All right. Well, tell me what you think about the episode. I thought it was great. I thought it had lots of high stakes moments where I was really invested. Um, It wasn't an episode where my rewatching got as much value out of it as previous ones. I think that's probably because the joy of this episode is that so many unexpected things happen. And so if you go back and rewatch it a couple of times, you're like, 
oh, well, but now I know when this happens and I don't care as much. But seeing it, whenever I saw it for the first time, I went nuts for like the weird dancing stuff for the fact that suddenly the Emma invented the term dance battle as a thing you could do in pro wrestling. <laughs> For the fact that Zayn and Cesaro were like, you know what? Fuck those other two characters. We don't yep. care. We're yep. just going to keep going up this ramp. And then I just had a vision where they just kept fighting like out the door and into the sunset. It very like Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck kind of thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, uh, thank you for that. With that. Oh, wait, we can't go to the rest of the show yet. I'm afraid it's time <gasps> to ring the bell on some people. And uh, yeah, this is a big one, guys. Okay. Um, because on this episode, we are ringing the bell for Mickey Keegan. Mickey. Oh, God. Fuck uh, off. Uh, what? <laughs> this is his last, this is his last match. Okay, you're right. You know, I should take this seriously. I am. He did his best. Uh, yeah, as far as I can tell, this was Mickey Keegan's last ever wrestling match. Uh, by this time, he had already been in the business for eight years. And what little I could find out about the situation seems to indicate that he retired due to a neck injury Ooh. that was causing spinal stenosis. Ah. He definitely didn't take any uh, bumps in this match. He got smacked in the back by the Wyatts a few times and then got thrown out of the ring. Aiden English took all the actual moves. So I'm guessing that um, Keegan was already dealing with this injury at this point. Uh, but yeah, uh, formerly known as Axel Keegan, Max Bauer and Max Von Bauer. He gets his bell rung in this one as he ends his career being squashed by the Wyatt family. You know, if you got to go, that's not a bad way to go. Interestingly, despite the content of this episode, this is not the last time we will be seeing the Wyatt family in NXT. Yay! They have a few appearances left in them. It is, however, the last time we will see them involved in any major storylines, and those remaining appearances are somewhat sporadic, so unfortunately, Bob, we are going to ring the bell for them this week. Okay. As they are moving on to pastures whose greenness will prove inconsistent at best. <laughs> um, Bray Wyatt, as you know, Bob, is the son of wrestling legend Mike Rotunda. He was actually in the second season of NXT back when it was a fake reality game show, uh, though he had much shorter hair, was clean shaven and was known as Husky Harris. I have seen video evidence of Husky Harris. He didn't win NXT season two, but of course the show was fake anyway. So Husky Harris ended up having a brief main roster career starting from October 2010 and going to the end of January 2011. He was then sent back to what was WWE's developmental territory at the time, Florida Championship Wrestling, where he continued as Husky Harris for over a year before debuting the Bray Wyatt character in April of 2012. And then, of course, you know, NXT happened and he did Bray Wyatt in NXT. The Wyatts were initially very successful on the main roster, getting a significant push as they attacked and defeated several established competitors. But while Harper and Rowan had a couple nice runs as WWE Tag Team Champions, WWE consistently refused to commit to Bray. He got locked into this cycle where he would get in a feud with somebody, usually somebody like really important, uh, do his whole scary eater of worlds thing and then lose to them. Wow. And uh, yeah, he did get beat by some of the most notable wrestlers in the business, including John Cena, The Undertaker and various members of The Shield. But it eventually 
became kind of hard to take him seriously after several years of this, and he stopped getting matches at that level. It is the classic example of how wrestling may be scripted, but winning wrestling matches still really matters because you need credibility. Bray did win the WWE Championship in 2017, but his reign was brief and it wasn't long before he was back to being kind of a nobody. Wow. Uh, Until recently, he was considered one of the biggest examples of WWE totally dropping the ball with someone who should have been a megastar because they would not fucking pull the trigger and establish him as a credible threat. However, recently, very recently, after some time away, Bray Wyatt returned with a new sort of character. Still called Bray Wyatt. Mm-hmm. Um, he is now the host of a children's TV show called the Firefly Funhouse, oh, uh, he, which is delightfully creepy. However, he doesn't wrestle as the children's TV show host. He wrestles as the host's alter ego, a being known only as the Fiend. (sighs) He has an utterly terrifying mask made by Tom Savini. He made his debut as the Fiend by coming out with a new lantern, which appeared to be made from the head of the Bray Wyatt character. Oh, my God. I strongly suggest, Bob, after we're done here, that you YouTube all of this. (laughs) Holy shit. Because it is very much worth watching. Since then, he's been utterly dominant. And if there is any fucking justice in the world, by the time all of you are listening to this, he will be the Universal Champion because I swear to God, if they do Bray Dirty again after somehow managing to rehabilitate him again with a new character I don't even fucking know. This has been Miles Has an Axe to Grind. (laughs) As for Harper and Rowan, they've also been uh, sort of inconsistent. It's been some time since the Wyatt family was a thing, and the team of Harper and Rowan has been broken up a couple of times. They always seem to get put back together. They had a a somewhat ignominious run as the Bludgeon Brothers. That didn't last. Harper, who has been vocally frustrated online about not being used to his full potential, which is absolutely true. He's um, good. He's so good. He was off TV for a long time. Rowan ended up winning the tag team championship again with Daniel Bryan for a while recently during Harper's absence. But recently, Harper returned and they are back together, hopefully better than ever. Though, to be honest, tag teams are very clearly not high on Vince McMahon's list of priorities. So ring the bell for the Wyatt family. Uh, Their careers have been up and down. Hopefully we are back on the upswing for all three of them. It looks that way, and I hope that continues. With that, let's get into the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. All right. And we will start with this question, Bob, on this episode. What did your elf eyes see? My elf eyes saw a lot, but the thing that really captured my elf eyes was Corey Graves' expression whenever Adrian Neville is talking shit to the shield. <laughs> I don't know if you saw it, but sort of behind Neville's head, you can kind of see Corey Graves going like, just going, <gasps> like, the ball's yeah. on you. You're amazing. And I like to think, you know, this is whenever that elf rogue goes, oh, wow, you're really something, Hobbit. And that's actually in character for Corey Graves, because the... 
Last time the shield was here, I believe it, uh, they were involved in beating the shit out of Corey Graves. So he, he has had previous run-ins with the shield, which is possibly why he feels that way. Uh, I love that he got stood up for by, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, potentially stood up for by uh, tiny Adrian Neville. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? My elf eyes couldn't help but notice that Mickey Keegan and Bo Dallas go to the same tailor or something for their outfits because their shit looks the fucking same. Really? <laughs> yeah. So Mickey Keegan's outfit. I had to bring this up for a sight sound feels because this is the last time we're going to be able to talk about it. Yeah. Um, his outfit is like black and they're the red, like what looks like scratch marks down it. Huh. And Bo Dallas's gear is black with like red like they're not as like scratchy looking they're just like sharp triangles but they look almost exactly the same and i was like totally baffled by it wow i'll be honest i feel like i've never actually looked at mickey keegan long enough to notice that he was wearing anything that's fair i'm sorry mickey keegan i'm so sorry bob what did your vulcaneers hear i heard william regal say that he used to be a raver <laughs> what I, now I'm just picturing him wearing those like giant raver pants and wearing a candy necklace. And I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> Fucking fan art, guys. Do it. Oh, God. I just can't imagine that world. But I don't know. Maybe raving in the 80s whenever he was probably raving was a different world. But who knows? like him with a plur bracelet. Yeah. All right, Miles. What did your Vulcaneers hear? My Vulcaneers heard apparently Scott Dawson has a backstory. <laughs> <laughs> that, we're that we're being told on commentary. Uh, we find out that Scott Dawson like grew up as the oldest kid in his family and had to take care of his younger siblings, which is a weird thing to say about the heel in the match. Like, why are you trying to make him sympathetic to me? Um, we also find out that Sylvester LaFort found Scott Dawson at a country music festival. <laughs> I Which, feel like they change that every time. I want to know what LaFort was doing at a country music festival. Just why <laughs> were you there? Yeah, that doesn't seem like his scene. All right, Bob, what does your human heart feel? My human heart felt the urge to key Dean Ambrose's car. <laughs> That's not normally who I am, but something about the self-satisfied look on Dean Ambrose's face and how mean and bullying he was being to Adrian Neville, I was like, you're a terrible person. And, you know, I hope... That things you don't like happen to you. So there. Miles, what did your human heart feel? Just going back real quick to the Charlotte versus Sasha match. I found it so interesting, like our conversation during the breakdown about like how the crowd wasn't really into it because like the crowd didn't really know who they were. And yeah, I have so many feelings about the two of them in the ring together. This is going to be a thing. We're going to see this many more times oh. under many different circumstances. Charlotte versus Sasha Banks is one of the seminal rivalries of <sighs> the modern era of wrestling. And I, it was so weird to just see them their first match as opponents on TV it was so bizarre. That and, uh, it's blows gonna, my mind. It's going to be so different in the future, like considering where both of them go. But yeah, this is this is something that is going to keep happening for a very long time. And I'm here for the first one. Wow. All right. Well, I guess I'll be on the lookout for that right now. I just can't even imagine that. Those were the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. And now it is time for the wrestling term of the week. But first, Bob, we need to hear your fanfic about last episode's wrestling term of the week, which was push. Take it away. Spider-Man dodged out of the way of Juggernaut. <laughs> he had to lose this match. It was all part of the push to make Juggernaut a big deal. 
get kids to wear juggernaut pajamas, yada yada. But someone could have told Juggernaut to maybe pull back on his punches a little. Spider-Man dodged a little too slow and got an unexpected body check from Juggernaut that sent him sprawling. He leapt back up to deliver the planned uppercut, but Juggernaut caught his fist. Nice punch. Cute suit. You the local jobber, runt? I'm the local Spider-Man. Nice to meet you. Spider-Man rolled forward out of the hold. Juggernaut's laugh boomed around the arena. Fitting, says I'm gonna squash you like the little bug you are. Give up, pipsqueak. Spider-Man climbed up to the top rope, preparing to leap at Juggernaut. The crowd oohed in excitement. I can't win every battle, but I'm not going to fall without a struggle. He dove forward and felt the breath knock from his lungs as Juggernaut caught him suddenly. Then a hand around his throat and the voice of the commentator. It's the choke slam of Sidorak, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Spider-Man felt his body collide with the mat and dimly heard the voice of Juggernaut above him. I'm the Juggernaut. Ain't nothing, ain't nobody can beat me. The crowd was still baying in delight as Spider-Man rolled out of the ring and dragged himself backstage. J. Jonah Jameson handed him his water bottle and a towel. You did good out there. I got squashed. You got squashed with more talent than that guy used to win. Spider-Man gave him a look. Not sure it was worth it. That guy is a steamroller. Jameson put a hand on Spider-Man's shoulder. You're being the best wrestler you can be, and I don't care how much they push that menace. You're the one I believe in. You're Spider-Man. Thanks, Jonah. Is it another squash match next week? Nah, that Deadpool guy's looking for a tag team partner for next week. I said you'd be perfect. (laughs) That is because Sandwich Surplus suggested Spider-Man, and then also because... Dan knows a lot about Spider-Man and the Juggernaut and things and taught me some new things that I guess in the current run of Spider-Man that he and J. Jonah Jameson have uh, mended fences and they now talk to one another and J. Jonah Jameson knows that he's Spider-Man. Uh, Dan knows a great deal about comics, so I would trust him on that. Yeah. Talk about Dan Mulcairn of the Smash Fiction podcast, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. Not just some random Dan. Not just some random Dan. The specific um, Dan. Yeah, the Dan. Well, thank you, Sandwich Surplus, and uh, thank you, Dan, for uh, those suggestions and helping Bob get this fic written. It was quite delightful. So, the wrestling term of the week this episode is Championships, again! (laughs) The sequel! We, uh, We already talked a lot about Championships back in episode three, but I wanted to go back to them one more time, Bob, and here's why. Okay. The Shield showed up on this episode, and you might have noticed that every one of them was holding a title belt. Yeah. Um, and that Adrian Neville challenged Dean Ambrose for something called the United States Championship. What the fuck so, is that? Yeah, since we're seeing these main roster titles come up, and since it definitely will not be the last time that happens, I thought it might be useful to just quickly go over all of WWE's championships so that you oh, have some idea no. of what it means when they show up. Now, okay. I want to warn you, this could be a little confusing, so pay attention. <laughs> okay. Is this going to be as bad as over? It's not going to be as bad as over, but it might be close. So, okay. Uh, you might want to take two episodes also uh, for the fanfic on this one, Bob, because of the confusion. Okay. Um, not because we have a guest in the next episode. No, no. It's not that. It's the confusion. <laughs> so let's start at the top. In 2013, WWE had two main event level world championships. This is the belts that the top people fight over. The first and most prestigious was the WWE Championship, which has a lineage in WWE going back to 1963. Slightly less prestigious was the World Heavyweight Championship. 
That one has a much more complicated history, which we're not getting into right now because it doesn't exist anymore. In fact, it's going to be gone by the end of 2013 and will eventually be replaced in 2016 by the WWE Universal Championship. So uh, both as we record this now and in 2013, there are two major titles. Then there are what we call mid-card titles. What? These are mid-card, yes. So these are championships meant to be fought over by rising stars as opposed to top stars. If you're already at the top of the company, you're John Cena, you're The Rock, you're Hulk Hogan, you're probably fighting for the world championship or one of the two world championships. If you're on a slightly lower level than that and you're not main eventing every show, but you're still kind of doing well, you might be winning one of these mid-card championships. And there are two of these as well. There is the Intercontinental Championship, which has been in WWE since its inception, the title's inception, in 1979. And the United States Championship, which is what Dean Ambrose is currently holding, which actually dates back to 1975 and is the only active title in WWE that did not originate in WWE. Long story with that one. Both these championships still exist today. We've already talked a little bit about the history of women's titles in WWE, so I won't belabor the point. Suffice it to say that in 2013, the only women's title is the WWE Divas Championship, a.k.a. the Butterfly Belt, a.k.a. the Vagina Belt, depending on your preference. Oh, Um, God. This stands in stark contrast to modern WWE, which has the Raw Women's Championship, the SmackDown Women's Championship, and the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships, though Lord knows there's still tons of progress to be made when it comes to WWE and gender equality. Speaking of tag team titles, the history of those are insanely complicated, but I won't overload you. Uh, Dean's buddies there in the Shield, Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns, were holding the WWE Tag Team Championships at the time of this episode, which were the only tag team titles on the main roster. Currently, in the modern era, there are two, also named the Raw Tag Team Championship and the SmackDown Tag Team Championship. Uh, Incidentally, Seth Rollins was the first ever NXT champion. He was the one that Big E defeated to win the title. And as you know, NXT also has the tag team and women's titles now. In 2013 and for many years after, NXT did not have a mid-card championship, though that will be showing up way down the line. For now and for a while, we just have the three. Main roster WWE also currently has something called the Cruiserweight Championship, which is ostensibly a belt for smaller competitors, and the 24-7 Championship, which is basically a comedy gimmick. What? And of course, these days, we also have NXT UK, which has its own NXT UK champion, women's champion, and tag team champions. There are, at present... 18 championships between WWE, NXT, and NXT UK. Ah. Uh, okay. Whatever you want to do for your fic with that, Bob, feel free to do it. Uh, you know, if you want to do some more Pride and Prejudice, I won't say no to it. Um, <laughs> the main thing to take away from this is there are, in general, in any wrestling promotion, there's the big title, there's the mid-card title, there's the women's title, and there's the tag team titles. And there might be some like lower-level ones, like, you know, we're talking about Cruiserweight, 24-7, whatever they choose to do. But generally, that's how championship hierarchies work in wrestling. Is the tag team title the only one that's not gender-specific? The tag team titles usually are gender-specific, um, because there's women's tag titles and men's tag titles. Oh, yeah, it couldn't change hands because we don't do intergender wrestling. Okay. Right. In other companies, of course, there are non-gender-specific championships, but in WWE, they are all gender-specific. Except for the 24-7 championship, interestingly, which can be won and has been won by both men and women. Aww. 
All right, Bob, that was your wrestling term of the week. Come back in two episodes for Bob's fanfic talking about the hierarchy of championships. For now, we're going to close this one out with the Cheap Pop Quiz. Question number one. Next episode, there's a new face on commentary. Oh. And it's someone we've previously seen in a different capacity. What? Is it A, Baron Corbin, the jobber who Bob thinks she might have known something about once? (laughs) Oh, how dare you? How dare you weaponize my memories? (laughs) Is it B, Alex Riley, a.k.a. Steel Horse from episode five of Glow? Is it C, Renee Young? D, Corey Graves? Or E, Sylvester LaFort. I know some things about Corey Graves, but I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not ready. Okay. I can't imagine they would have a woman on commentary. That just seems like they would never do that at this point. Okay. Is this person on commentary for the whole episode? Yes. Okay, who is B? Uh, Alex Riley, aka Steel Horse from episode five of Glow. You know what? That's what I'm saying. All right. Going with Alex Riley. I don't remember him, but everything else seems insane to me. Fair enough. Question number two. As you know, next episode features a dance battle between Emma and Summer Rae. (laughs) Yes. What is not among the dance moves that Emma pulls out during this epic confrontation? Oh, boy. Is it A, the Emma dance? You know, the one she does during her entrance. And just all the time. (laughs) B, the chicken dance. C, the one-legged chicken dance, (laughs) a.k.a. the funky chicken or the white boy dance. (gasps) D, the Macarena. Or E, the advanced shopping cart. All right. The one-legged chicken dance. Okay. I feel like there's no right answers to be had here. All right. (laughs) So the one-legged chicken dance, you know, the one where you grab your head and your ankle and you do a thing anyway. Yeah. All right. Question number three. What do we learn in the next episode about Leo Kruger's childhood? Whoa. Is it A, when he was a kid, all the other kids used to laugh at him. (laughs) And when he takes Bo Dallas's championship, all the kids are going to laugh at Bo. B, when he was a kid, all the other kids were afraid of him, and he's going to make Bo fear him as well. C, when he was a kid, all the other kids called him crazy, and he's going to show Bo just how crazy he is. D, When he was a kid, he and the other kids would play hide and seek, and he hunted down every one of them, just like he's going to hunt down Bo Dallas. Oh, no. Or E, when he was a kid, all the other kids would make fun of the way he played with his hair. So he killed them, just like he's going to kill Bo Dallas. (laughs) All right, I'm going with C. All the other kids called him crazy? Yeah. All right. That feels accurate. Well, there we go. So uh, that was your cheap pop quiz, and come back next episode to figure out whether or not I have continued to stump Bob with these five answer variants on these questions. <laughs> well, Bob, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Thank you, as always, for joining me. Oh, thank you. I don't, it's always fun. I don't really think we have much to shout out this week. You know, it's kind of the holiday season, so everybody have fun with that. Enjoy the, the Christmas or the Hanukkah or the whatever the hell you do and the New Year's and, and all the good stuff. Yeah, Hogmanay. I think that's a holiday that's around this time. I believe so. Yule, if you're into Yule. Yeah. Uh, I'm personally, I'm quite into Yule myself, so. It's fun to say uh, at the very least. That's right. And, you know, while you're celebrating Yule, it may be that you require some podcast entertainment in your ears. And uh, for that, you should listen to 
back episodes of the show. You should listen to the uh, the Smash Fiction podcast, which is currently winding down. And also, you should listen to Garden Plots with Skeletor. That is going to start on January 1st. That will be the first episode, and it will be the first and the 15th of every month. Bring in the new year with uh, with some Skeletor gardening. <laughs> some plant goodness. I should also tell you that if you are not following garden underscore plots on Twitter, you are missing out because I don't run that particular Twitter account. That is the account that Skeletor and Riley run for Garden Plots with Skeletor. So you can tune in there for more Skeletor yelling about plants goodness and him arguing with his sound minion. Yeah, it's already my favorite thing on Twitter. Um, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm so excited that we get to start off 2020 with this new podcast. It's going to be amazing. Everybody have a good one this holiday season. And we will see you in two weeks with another episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Yeah. Bye. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.